Can't sleep? Don't want to sleep? Afraid to sleep? Are the windows closed? Are your doors locked? Did you check your closet? And under your bed? Maybe you should keep a light on in the hallway, just in case. Now settle in. Make yourself comfortable. Lay back. Close your eyes. And let me tell you a story. You're driving down a lonely highway. A storm rages. You can barely see the road. Then, up ahead, your headlights pick out a sign. Exit 666, Lodging. You've driven on this road many times, but don't remember ever seeing a sign for a motel before. In fact, you can't quite remember why you're driving down it now, let alone at night, during a thunderstorm. This week, Barbara Avon takes you into the world between life and death, where the proprietor is a funny little man named Milton, who is eager to welcome you to the Owl Eyes Motel, where there's always room for the dead. Room 503 It was the kind of storm that forced even the derelicts to retreat to their gutters. The neon vacancy sign blinked victoriously, despite the rain and lightning that distorted the man's vision as he exited the taxi. His 83-year-old legs wobbled precariously, threatening to send him to the asphalt. He had left Whispering Heights on his own volition, ignoring the pleas from well-meaning nurses. With no next of kin, there was no one to call for help, no one to embrace the man and welcome him into their home. He was tired, he said. He was tired of the same view, questionable dinners, and three lousy channels on a small black-and-white television set that ultimately helped keep him sane by drowning out the whispers of ghosts, both real and imagined. Where are you going to go, Mr. Pennington? Road trip. But surely a man of your age... I'm not dead yet, young lady, he said, taming his thinning white hair back into place. Where do I sign? I have a cab waiting. The nurse relinquished the form that would absolve the home of any wrongdoing should a resident face adversity in the outside world. She stared at Walter Bennington's notebook, where a crudely drawn portrait of a young woman graced the cover. She's pretty. The old man softened his disposition. His gnarled fingers gently traced the woman's features. Beautiful my Diana was. Died in 34. I never did remarry. My heart had no room left in it. Oh, I'm so sorry. Stiffening, he scrawled something that slightly mimicked his signature. The elegant penmanship stolen by Father Time. Thank you for taking care of me, he said, offering his hand. The nurse's young hand encircled fingers that were cold as ice. I hope you find a grand adventure, sir. Just want to feel like a man again is all. Good night, Nurse Neville. Walter watched as the taxi driver sped away, anxious for his next dime. He picked up his one suitcase and entered the foyer of the motel, cringing as the bell on the door rattled endlessly. The checkerboard floor beneath his feet 
gave him a sense of vertigo. A red velvet rope blocked off a settee, as if to dissuade travelers from taking a rest. Above it, a large painting featuring a white owl unnerved him. The veins in the creature's eyes resembled shimmering red tributaries. Slowly making his way to the concierge desk, he met a man barely five feet tall and sporting only a wisp of gray hair that was styled neatly over his large forehead. Good evening, good evening. My name is Milton, and I am the proprietor of All Eyes Motel at exit 666. That's 666. What can I do for you this fabulous Friday Eve? You have a room for one? Walter asked, holding his notebook to his broken heart. Don't need anything fancy. A king-size bed sure would be nice, though. How long do you wish to stay, my good sir? Walter surveyed the little man's brown trousers and brown vest. His gold name tag shined as if it had just been polished. M-I-L-T-O-N was spelled out in uppercase letters above the letters O-W-N-E-R. That's to be determined. Very well, Milton said. He scanned a thick, leather-bound ledger before stating, Room 503, will that do? Does it have a television? I'm afraid not. It does have its other perks, however, tailored to make your stay as pleasant as possible. There are no television sets in any of the rooms. Will that be a problem? Milton asked, wringing his hands. No, don't plan this day long enough for it to matter. Wonderful. Allow me to escort you myself. We are not too busy this wonderful Friday eve. If you can just sign here, please, he said, pointing to the ledger. Don't forget to add the date. That's the 11th day of October, 1985. I know the dang year. Yes, of course you do, my good man. Milton reached into a drawer, pulled a key from it, and tucked it into the pocket of his vest. Waddling around the counter, he picked up the man's leather suitcase and stood holding it in front of him, with both hands grasping the well-worn handle. He stared, bemused, at Bennington's rain-soaked house slippers. How much? How much what, sir? How much for the room? <laughs> of course, Milton said, laughing nervously. Fifty of your dollars will also ensure a complimentary breakfast, served at zero six hundred hours in the motel dining room. Agreed. Sounds all right, I suppose. Very well, then. Shall we go to your room? Milton led the way to a vintage lift and waited as his guest stepped inside. Closing the intricately crafted wrought iron gate, they fell silent and listened to an old Benny Goodman tune. They don't make music like this nowadays. Always loved Goodman. I know, sir. Walter stuffed his hands deeper into his trench coat pockets to try and warm them, but it was as if his blood had stopped pumping. What do you mean, you know? Here we are. Opening the gate, Milton stepped into the hallway, thrusting one arm out like Vanna White. Red brocade carpets lined the length of the hall. Fresh flowers sat in vases on half-moon tables of dark lacquered wood. The wallpaper was forest green, with tasteful gold accents. Wall sconces cast a romantic light over everything. Walter looked around him with his mouth gaped open, 
showcasing his new dentures. I take it you are pleased? It'll do. Yes, well, this way, my good man. Pausing in front of a door marked 503, Milton rested the suitcase at his feet. The light fixtures flickered, causing unnatural shadows to creep up the walls. It is quite a storm we're having. Yeah, my key? Yes, of course. How forgetful of me, Milton said, handing Walter a single key. It was the kind of old key that looked like it could open a door on the Titanic. Bennington leaned over, struggling to insert it into the lock. As it clicked into place, he heard Milton's voice, but the little man had disappeared before Walter could thank him. Enjoy your stay. Darkness gave way to blinding light. Walter expelled what little food he had in his frail body. His spine felt like it was being stretched by an invisible hand. He no longer wore his trench coat, but a three-piece suit and pristine wingtips. A wedding band encircled his finger, and when she spoke, he dissolved into tears. Welcome home, darling. Diana. Her name died on his lips. A look of concern shadowed her angelic face. She ran to him, still holding a wooden spoon, covered in her homemade tomato sauce. You look dreadful. Are you feverish? Doubled over, he stared at a suitcase that had magically transformed into a black leather briefcase. It was the one she had gifted him on their wedding day, inscribed with his initials, W.E.B. He frantically scanned the area for his notebook, where he had written things only God could know, but it had disappeared, along with what little was left of his sanity. Diane's slender arm encircled his waist. At her touch, he recoiled, meeting the door behind him. The view before him reminded him of a museum. Room 503 was an exact replica of their two-bedroom apartment that faced the bustling new city where they had planned to build a life and raise a family. It had been the only place they ever lived together. Don't touch me. Walter, what has gotten into you? I'm calling Dr. Mosley. No, please. Placing her hands on her hips, she looked at him like the many times he had returned home late from the gentleman's club, reeking of scotch. That's fine, Walter. Do you mind telling me why you're acting like a madman? It's not possible, he whispered. What's not possible? Did you stop for a drink after work? No. Well, then Trevor has worked you too hard, it seems. I must have a chat with his wife. Did I tell you they are coming for cocktail Saturday next? Diane asked, retreating to the kitchen. I'll be making my lemon butter cake, she said, stirring her sauce. Cecile asked me for the recipe, but I'm not sure I'm ready to appease that busybody with... Walter tugged at her arm forcefully, causing sauce to slosh on the linoleum. You're really here. Of course I'm here. Where else would I be, darling? Pacing in circles, he threaded his hand through his thick hair and stared at his palm as if it were covered in blood. He scanned the kitchen, searching for the contraption, walked over to it, and peered into the belly of the toaster. His hair was black, as it had been in his youth, his face unlined. I don't know what's happening to me, Diana. 
Placing the wooden spoon down, she wiped her hands on the apron that was tied around her slim waist and stealthily approached him. You are scaring me, Walter, she said, taking both his hands into hers. What is it? What's troubling you? Acid bubbled up from his esophagus. Despite the absurdity behind his statement, he spat it out. You're dead. The rouge in her cheeks faded away only briefly. Her laughter grated on his nerves. <laughs> That's absurd. Have you been listening to that radio drama again? Speaking of which, I think it's time for the Benny Goodman program, she said, reaching for the dial on the zenith that was poised on the kitchen windowsill. Come now, she said, turning toward him. Enough with this nonsense. Dinner will be ready shortly. Years of sorrow and pain dissipated instantly. From some other realm, he heard Milton urging him to enjoy himself. Enjoy your stay. Pushing logic aside, he grabbed his once-dead wife around the waist and ravaged her mouth with deep, soulful kisses. I missed you so much, Di. So much. Goodness, she said, coming up for air. You've only been gone to work. I, I know, but I still missed you, he said, playing along. Well, I missed you too, Mr. Bennington. Go on now, go wash up, and I'll set the table for dinner. Maybe a home-cooked meal will make you feel more like yourself. His muscular legs refused to move. His heart secured him in place. I promise that I will be here when you return, she added, teasing him. Relenting, he left her alone and made his way through the apartment, marveling at the Victrola, the sideboard, and the chandelier with cog-like edges and frosted glass. Remembrance registered in his eyes as he placed a record on the turntable. He saw her as she looked the day they first danced, emerging from her bashful shell like a butterfly from a cocoon. Lifting the needle, he bathed in silence, mourning what once was. In the bedroom, he removed his suit jacket and stared in the vanity mirror, as if staring at his doppelganger. His arms were as defined as his shoulders were broad. Smiling gingerly, he tapped one fingernail on his front tooth to ensure it was really his. In his eyes, he saw the devil. With head bowed, he sought the chair in front of him for support. This isn't real. God damn you, this isn't real. There you are. What is taking you so long? Diana stood at the threshold of the room, smiling affectionately. His eyes drifted to her middle section that would one day soon be ravaged by a rare parasite. The doctor had delivered the somber news on a Tuesday, and she died three months later, alone, while her husband was engaged in a sexual romp with his mistress a block away. How are you feeling, Diana? Why, I feel fine. I am hungry, though. Are you coming, or are you not? I'm coming, darling. I'm coming. Nurse Neville poured herself a third cup of coffee. The lights at Whispering Heights were dimmed. It was a practice that had been employed since the doors first opened at the retirement home. It was a sign of respect for a resident who had recently died. Damn storm just won't quit. Hmm? Oh, hi, Rachel. You okay, Carly? Yeah, I was just thinking about poor Mr. Bennington. 
Rachel added three creamers and four sugars in her coffee mug before indulging in a long sip. The break room table was riddled with magazines left behind by other staff. Most were travel magazines so that they could dream of exotic places far away from the sadness that engulfed the home. Oh, is that who it was? I guess it was his time, eh? Carly peered over her mug at her colleague before setting it on the dinette. No, you haven't heard? Heard what? Dr. Stevens found him this morning. He was hanging from the ceiling. Jesus, that's awful. Yeah, apparently he was screaming for his wife who's been dead for 50 years. Doc heard him? What did he say? I'm coming, darling. I'm coming. Thank you for listening to Room 503 from the book Owl Eyes Motel, written by Barbara Avon. You can learn more about this multi-genre author at barbaraavon.com. Make sure you sign up for her email newsletter for updates on her next book, Owl Eyes Motel, Lover's Retreat. You can buy all of her books at amazon.com. As always, subscribe to Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs on your favorite podcast app or Audible. Share these stories with anyone who enjoys audio fiction, and please rate and review. Visit bedtimestories.studio to sign up for the Insomniac's snooze letter, and visit richhostick.com for more information about the host of Bedtime Stories for Insomniacs. Thanks again, and all the very best.